Hi there, welcome along to the deep dive episode for the British Grand Prix. My name is Jishnu. I'm Hanu. And I'm Max. And in today's deep dive episode, we'll be covering a few things uh, more towards the technical side, such as how the different tyre compounds affect, especially since we had the inaugural sprint race, whereby the tyre strategy is actually a bit different. Uh, we'll be talking about the uh, intense accident between Hamilton and Verstappen, which resulted uh, in Hamilton netting a penalty, as well as the 2025 engine regulations. So hopefully within this um, podcast, of uh, you know, you can listen to this on your drive back home or on your lunch break. You know, you get you guys can get a better understanding of um, what F1 is like about. Yeah, and uh, I think we should start right from the top with the sprint qualifying format that F1 tried out for this weekend. So for those of you who might not have heard of this, what Formula 1 did was to have the FP1 on a Friday as usual, and then they replaced FP2 on a Friday with the sprint with the normal qualifying session. And then FP2 was moved over to Saturday, followed by the sprint qualifying that was held on the Saturday. And then we of course had the usual Grand Prix race on the Sunday. And uh, I think the sprint format was a bit more exciting than usual, and we've actually talked a lot about how how different it was compared to the previous formats in our Talk of the Town episode for this week. So do listen to that. Uh, but for now, I think let's start with, you know, what happened right from the start of the sprint qualifying session. And I think you guys must have seen Max Verstappen's uh, start for the sprint qualifying session where uh, his brakes were literally on fire going into the, uh, the start. And uh, I just want to talk about, you know, uh, why the brakes were on fire essentially. And of course, why these drivers tend to uh, heat up their brakes before the start of a Grand Prix because it would seem sort of uh, counterintuitive, right? To actually like overheat and like heat up your brakes. Yeah, it would. It kind of doesn't make sense, but in reality, it's because they want to heat heat, uh, heat up the brakes to warm it up. That's firstly. Second is also because um, by heating up the brakes, right, it, it increases the inner temperature of the tires, so it allows a more even increase in temperature throughout the whole entire tire, not just like the outer layer. So because um, this could lead to blistering, right? As mentioned in our previous episode in France, you know what caused the blistering or marbling is in fact actually uneven uh, heat of the tires itself so initially you might think oh my god it's bad like Verstappen's brakes on fire but hey actually that's in hindsight it's actually kind of good because even the commentators uh, uh, I think it was Martin Brando mentioned like oh actually that could have benefited him because in the increased temperature increased his tire pressure which allowed him to get a better start yeah and I think that another point about how this brakes or the you know uh, higher brake temperatures increases the temperatures of the tires itself is because of the dispersion of heat these brake dots are actually located in between like well you know in the tire uh, I guess the spokes of the tires mm. and in doing so when the heat is being dispersed it goes straight into the rubbers of the tires in the inner part of the tire which normally doesn't really heat up by, you know, weaving and braking and accelerating. Yeah. And that's actually what allows the brake, uh, so the tyres themselves to be heated quite evenly. Yeah. Yeah, so there are actually two things in play over here. One is the brake temperatures that you want to get into the ideal range. Yeah. And then the tyre temperature, which is, of course, a very sensitive uh, range of tyre temperatures. So you want to get it just right so for both the brakes and the tyres to be in their optimal working conditions right from the start of the race. And I think in Max's case, he actually kind of overdone it but in hindsight i guess it really helped him to get an excellent start you know because the tires were in the optimal temperature uh to give him the most grip from the start yeah he had an insane flying start from second to 
overtaking Hamilton before the first corner. Mm. Yeah. But his tyre advantage didn't really last very long because soon into the race, we started seeing tyre blistering. And not just for Max Verstappen because uh, the other drivers like Lewis Hamilton and people further behind the race, uh, further behind in the grid, were also experiencing this uh, tyre blistering. Max, do you want to talk a bit about it? Well, yeah. So remember on the previous episode in France, um, we mentioned tyre blistering is when the tyres get overheated too much to the point where the rubber gets too loosey-goosey <laughs> and literally sticks to the tarmac and comes off. So yeah, it's like literally blistering, blisters off the tyres, huge chunks of it fall off. Um, primary reason I would say is because um, the track, uh, it was summer in the UK mm. and the weather was really hot and the track was insanely hot, you're scorching. Uh, this resulted in the tyres in temperature increasing too much and too fast. So that's why we had um, the issue of blistering on, on almost everyone. And you can see it on the broadcast, you know, when you're looking on the driver on board, mm-hmm. you can see like this thin dark black line appearing on the tyres. Yeah. So that's where you see that the tyres getting blistered. And I think for the case of the Silverstone Grand Prix, it was actually the front right tyre that was getting blistered. Because in on different tracks, you know, depending on the corners and the angles and all that, yeah. the different tyres get uh, pushed to different limits. So in this case, it was the right tyre. But it's more towards the inner side of the right tire, closer to the car, not of, um, towards the outer side. Mm. So I guess that's due to the cambering of the wheels mm. because they are cambered towards, they are angled towards the center of the car. Yep. And for anyone uh, wondering what camber means, camber is actually the angle between the wheels and the uh, sorry, the horizontal axis, which means uh, the floor, for example. You can take it as a reference. So camber is always either towards the car or away from the car. Yeah. So moving on from the blistering of tires, um, you know, we you know everyone had this um, pertinent issue on, but uh, we also had other issues on faced by other drivers, right? Um, for example, Sergio Sergio's incident. Yeah. Um. I think it was, uh, quite funny to see him spin out like that because mm. um I was having this conversation with my friend when we were. Um, watching the sprint qualifying about how on that corner on the F1 2020 game I actually always managed to spin out and <laughs> right as I said it Sergio Perez also spinned out or spun out sorry <laughs> coincidence and, and, uh, yeah, I think it was, not <laughs> uh, I think it was quite funny but uh, but yeah so actually what exactly happened is that most drivers when you're exiting the cur- uh, exiting the uh, corner want to maximise their um exit speed and in doing so they actually try to throttle put the throttle uh down and you know accelerate as quickly as possible but the thing is uh when you're trying to do this you have to time it just right because if you're coming out of the corner you're not only carrying a lot of speed but you're also carrying quite a bit of momentum and if you accelerate quick enough what will happen is that your wheels will spin a bit too much and you will they'll give way under you Mm. and something called oversteering i believe uh, in doing so, when your power actually exceeds the grip that the wheels provide, uh, your car will spin out, and I think that's exactly what happened to Sergio Perez. But I'm actually quite surprised that he managed to handle it and not crash into the wall and like get himself out. So I think props to him there. Yeah, I guess he, he went too hard on the throttle for a bit. Hmm. And I think what that really shows is the sprint qualifying format has this element of risk, mm-hmm. which is... You know, if you if you push your car to the limit, you either have the opportunity to make up places, kind of like what Alonso did. He made up like six places in just like the first two sectors. But then at the same time, if you push it too much and you go over the limit, you're going to end up like Sergio Perez yeah. and lose 
way too many places. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that was really interesting to watch. And actually, just a quick note on also why, why Alonso was able to make up so many places, which is actually because he started on the soft set of tyres, yeah. whereas most of the other drivers actually started on the mediums. And uh, I think Alonso actually managed to get the tyre temperatures into the right window like we talked about earlier. And uh, that really helped him to you know, maximise the grip and the uh, potential of the car, mm. in the first few corners especially. Yeah, actually that allowed him to propel himself like in the first few laps to a really solid position in the top, I think in the top 6 or top 7, I can't remember. But yeah, he suffered at the uh, end of towards the end of the race as a result, you know, because he didn't stop, he didn't bit, and the soft tyres, as we all know, they degrade much faster. So there is a trade-off in a sense, yeah. Yeah, and well, now I think we should move on to the race because that was a race that was full of action and I guess uh, incredibly controversial is the right word for that. Yeah. I wouldn't say full of action per se. I would say it's full of action for the, like, for the first for the first start, the, the, yeah. the first half of the race. You know, after the second half, we kind of expected, we kind of knew what happened. But yeah. Um, I think more than full of action, it was full of reaction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let me just say, you know, as like a Red Bull fan, I was devastated. Alright, I was indeed. I know. Yeah. So, you know, the whole Verstappen-Hamilton incident, um, we re- we've really spoken up about our opinions and our, our thoughts on um, Talk of the Town episode. Mm-hmm. But, so we're actually here to more discuss the um, technical side, you know, who had who had the, the right to defend, who had the right to attack, and why was Hamilton given a penalty. So, as a recap, uh, both of them were going to Cops Corner right after the old uh, pit street, and what happened was that Hamilton hit the rear right of Verstappen. Mm. Many argued that it was Hamilton's fault, but you know, uh, the three of us would agree that it's actually a racing incident. Yeah. Uh, why? Okay, it's kind of complicated, I would say, because uh, you know Verstappen during this whole period, Verstappen was in front of Hamilton, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, in that way, uh, Verstappen has the right of way. He has the right to actually defend himself, defend his mm. position, and Hamilton, being the second, he would of of course want to attack because he saw an open spot there, right? He saw a gap. Yeah. And obviously, it's, it's just really an unfortunate uh, case of a racing incident, right? I'm, I'm sure you guys can yeah, agree with that. I think it was. I think it's uh, unfortunate, but I think it could have been prevented because uh, I'll I'll dive a little bit more into the technical aspect of it, uh, and that is that being the leader at that corner, Max Verstappen actually, as Max rightly um, pointed out, he had the right to defend and choose his racing line. But the thing is that in a corner where there's no braking involved, there's actually two racing lines involved. Yeah. One that has the early apex and one that has the late apex. And both Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen were on their own racing lines. Uh, and in doing so, I think neither driver, being as aggressive as they are, wanted to back out of uh, the their racing lines and their attack. And I think that is what led to the incident in the first place. I do believe that if we were to put a blame, I think it would be 60-40 towards Lewis because uh, the racing line that he actually was on would almost always lead to catastrophe had he not pulled out earlier. But again, I don't think we can fully blame anyone because you you have literally less than a second to make these decisions. And when you are going at about 300 to 315 kilometers per hour, 
it does become a lot more difficult, you know, on, on the television screen, it's as if they have a long time, but when you're in the position, you realize yeah. that it's, it's a literal literal split, split second. second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah and, they really have time to react at all. Uh. And they were going flat out. Mm-hmm. The corner was flat out, remember? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think one of the critical aspects that actually helped the stewards to make their decision was the fact that Lewis Hamilton was uh, significantly away from the apex uh, on his racing line. And uh, that really made the stewards feel that uh, the accident could be avoided if Lewis Hamilton had turned in uh, at a sharper angle. And uh, if you compare it to Max Verstappen's line, uh, he did leave enough space uh, between uh, his car and the apex. So it just required Lewis Hamilton to turn at a much sharper angle than possibly his car could handle, honestly, I think. So that's why I guess there's a lot of controversy as to whose fault it is. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, I guess, what the stewards felt at that moment. I do think that Max, sorry, not Max, Lewis actually got very lucky to be meted out with just a 10 second penalty. Yeah. Because uh, for the, for a seven time world champion and, you know, a man with as much experience as himself, he should have been a lot more um, understandable and, you know, I think a lot more, he should have had a lot more foresight in the sense that he should have seen what was coming. Um, but then again, I can't fully blame him again because it was the first Grand Prix where the, all the fans were allowed to be back. And on top of that, it was Lewis Hamilton's home Grand Prix. So I think emotions were running really, really high, which was something I noticed even when they had the victory lap after the sprint qualifying. You know, Hamilton was on the verge of tears, uh, not only because he was beaten, but also because a lot of fans were there and, you know, he was able to, um, I guess, celebrate his second place, you know, or just celebrate the weekend in, uh, in like, overall with the fans. So you could see that Hamilton was actually pumped up with emotions. And because of that, I think it's it's understandable why he didn't he couldn't make the most wise decision. Yep, that is really true in, in, indeed. And speaking of the win, um, at one point of time we actually saw not one, not two, but four drivers, in fact, contesting for the win. Uh, it was potentially between Hamilton, mm. Leclerc, Bottas, and Norris. Uh, they were all really close, uh, within a few seconds of each other. But um, ultimately, you know, Leclerc got second, Bottas got third, and Norris, uh, you know, unfortunately lost out to the faster Mercedes car. Yeah, and uh, just a bring out the, the, the incident on Leclerc, right? So many of times, you know, people would think that the drivers uh, get alone in the car and just drive by themselves. You know, it's just one man and his car, which is actually not the case. You know, um, the race engineers um, or the, the heads of staff, heads of um, departments uh, at the pit sto- at the pit wall, they're actually constantly communicating with the drivers itself, you know, telling them, manage your tires, telling them um, the time lapse, um, for instance, <coughs> what settings and helping them to resolve yeah. issues, which was exactly what we saw during the race itself when Leclerc had an issue of his engine cutting off uh, at just random moments so he complained and really his engineers were really quick to on to, to, to rectify it on the spot you know when he mentioned it there you go yeah. right um, go to this setting default something yeah and yeah, you guys can really see the communication there yeah so it's, it's really just not the driver who's involved in these things I mean people all the way back to Maranello probably are involved in you know the decision making yep. and to help yeah. uh Charles Charles Leclerc actually fixed the issue on the spot and uh, also to Leclerc's uh, credit I think he did an amazing job to to not just fix the issue but to hold back a 7 time world champion for like a good number of laps while doing so 
really really solid they were really solid for going for a solid win there but yeah, yeah. And another driver who actually did very, very well in holding back uh, another driver, I think, was Jenny Rick, you know. Um, for the mm. last, I think it was 17 laps, uh, Sainz was actually on Rick, uh, Jenny Rick's tail, and he was within DRS zone for about 90% of like uh, the time. And I thought that, you know, Ricardo was going to lose his position um, because the Ferrari was quite a bit quicker, or at least Carlos Sainz's Ferrari was quicker than Jenny Ricardo's um uh, McLaren, but uh, surprisingly, I think it's just that's where his skill outshone Carlos Sainz's because uh, he was able to keep uh, Sainz behind him the entire uh, 17 laps, and uh, yeah, it was a very commendable drive from him. And going back to Max's point about Lando Norris missing out on the podium, I was very, very sad, but I think <laughs> I think the biggest reason why he did miss out on the podium, in my belief was that six-second um, six uh, pit stop that he had. Pit stop error. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a big curse. And I think he wasn't the only one who had a pit stop error because Carlos Sainz had a 12-second pit stop and Alonso also had a six-second pit stop or a 5.4-second pit stop. So it was a uh, day to forget for many of the pit crew members. Uh, even like Red Bull were having you know, pit stops that were quite a bit slower than their regular pit stop timings, you know, the sub two seconds mm. or just two point one second pit stops. So what are your thoughts on that guys? Oh yeah, for me it's a uh, quite a abnormal race, right? To see such slow pit stops from top tier teams. Uh you know if Norris Sainz and Alonso didn't have that those errors, Norris could have gotten a podium. Sainz would have most likely overtaken Ricardo and Alonso would have gotten gotten a better race result. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? To wrap things up on the whole uh Silverstone Grand Prix weekend, I think uh, one of the biggest takeaways from this weekend was, or, or rather the biggest storyline from this weekend was obviously the Hamilton with Stappen incident and their rivalry. And uh, like we mentioned earlier, and in our previous episode, you know, in the uh, Talk of the Town episode, uh, it's 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 not unusual for these drivers, uh, especially championship leaders, to have these kind of accidents. But we all just hope that, you know, them and their fans can all uh, stay positive and, of course, uh, move on uh, to the next races and uh, enjoy F1. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And moving on on enjoying F1, um, in 2025, there are proposed new engine regulations. Uh, so, talk us through, Jishnu. Yeah, so 2025 is set to be the year for the next set of engine regulation changes that are coming into uh, action in Formula 1. So, the previous one was actually in 2014, where they switched from the V8 engines to the V6 hybrid engines. And that was the switch that Formula 1 made because they were concerned about the road relevance of Formula 1 cars. So with the whole shift towards hybrid vehicles at that time, yep. uh, they were concerned that F1 might become more irrelevant to these automotive manufacturers. And so that's why they made that shift in 2014. And for this uh, 2025 engine regulations, there's actually some big controversy and some major talking points about what the new engine should be like mm-hmm. and whether it should even be an engine in the first place. So so obviously, if you look at the, you know, the car manufacturers that are in Formula 1, We've got uh, Ferrari, Mercedes, Renault, and Honda. You know, these guys would want a greater use of electric power in the powertrains for Formula 1 because that's obviously what is relevant to the automotive industry, you know, with the whole shift towards electric vehicles. So, obviously, they would want to have those uh, regulations in place. But uh, if you look at other teams like Christian Horner, Red Bull team, they actually want to have, you know, high-revving engines and V12s and those kind of stuff that really make the sport 
exciting for the fans in their opinion. So there's a lot of controversy. Bringing back the, the, the old engines. Yeah. But what do you guys think? Should we, should we switch to electric power? Or at least not not only switch, but where should we be going in the direction, in the general direction? Well, for me, I, I would actually, I, I would love EV vehicles, um, primarily one because they are like the technology of the future and it's really exciting. But I still want to retain some form of, um, you know, the the traditional internal combustion engine because that really that's the identity of Formula One, isn't it? So yeah, um, I would like them to see. I like to see like more electrical power and more technology from EVs being incorporated into F1 but still retaining the aspect of the uh, traditional engine um, Fair enough I think uh, yeah I think I agree with Max in the sense that you know Formula 1 has always been the pinnacle of uh, technological uh, advancements for, especially for the automotive industry and since you know the entire automotive industry is heading towards electrical vehicles I do believe that I F1 should be heading that way as well and you know Hopefully, one day in the future, we'll have Formula One actually producing the most, um, producing the most uh, technologically advanced, uh, uh, you know, electrical engines that actually hold quite a bit of power. They're quite lightweight, and they don't need to be recharged as often. Yeah. But uh, actually, you know, I have almost never been a sound. Uh, I've never been a fan of you know the loud engine noises, and I actually really enjoy the sound of the. Uh, the Formula E what? car, you know, the, the very soft hum that it has. It sounds like a. Uh, it's really enjoyable. It's just a whirl. It's not like a yeah. screaming. I, I prefer the screaming, screaming V8s or like yeah. V10s. The electric engines are just a whirl, like a. Sheesh. Yeah, I actually never enjoyed the V8 and the V10 eras, as as many other fans, uh, you know, to their dismay or to their horror. I'm more of a, an electrical guy, so <laughs> I do. You know, I am looking forward to it. And uh, I think a lot of fans aren't, because I think I was looking at the uh, press conference between uh, Toto Wolf and Christian Horner after the Austrian Grand Prix, and a lot of the comments were saying exactly what Max said, you know, they want the sound back, and you know, that's what the identity of Formula One is. But I think it's, it's the same as the Halo issue in 2018, where everyone was complaining about how it made the cars look so ugly and so disgusting, but now... Uh, you know, I think fans can agree that it is not only quite a good-looking car, but it also actually adds a lot of safety to uh, the car itself. So I think it's something that the fans will learn to love eventually. Mm-hmm. Yep, indeed. And it's not just that on the new engine regulations, but also the fuel that they'll be using as well. So um, they, are, they, they intend to use biofuels to replace the current fuel that they have. And actually next year, they, they, they intend to um, implement, start implementing it. So just know what are your thoughts about it? Yeah, I think, I think if you look at a bigger picture, the reason why all this is happening is because obviously environmental concerns are becoming a huge part of not just F1, but you know, every other sport and every other industry in general. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that aspect, I think electrical electrical powertrains are obviously uh, more environmentally friendly, even compared to biofuels, because although they are, uh, you know, ethically sourced, or not ethically sourced, but like environmentally friendly sources of fuel and stuff like that, uh, they still, the combustion process that happens on track still releases, you know, greenhouse gases and stuff. So it's not entirely free of environmental concerns, but it does fulfill that, uh, F1 fans' desire for sound and revving retents. Yeah. Yep, while still maintaining the carbon neutrality goal Mm. that F1 are targeting towards. Yeah. Yeah, so if you ask me, I would say, you know, uh, maybe just leave it to the manufacturers to do what they want. 
so that we could have a mix <laughs> of you know EVs and biofuels. That would be exciting. Yeah, I think that would be yeah. great. Yeah, and you know we could be seeing like a McLaren on electric cars, and then maybe a Ferrari with a revving V twelve again. It would be perhaps, very interesting. That that would be the future, I guess. A future that we all be looking forward to. The future that we hope to be a part of. Yeah, and also another point, just to just to uh, you know wrap things up. There are also conversations about uh, other teams potentially joining F1 in the future. So the Volkswagen Group was actually involved in these uh, talks after the Austrian Grand Prix, together with Formula One and the other teams. And uh, if you guys know your cars, Volkswagen Group actually owns the brand names for uh, Porsche, Audi, and Bugatti, and Bentley even. So, you know, we could be seeing some very exciting names in Formula One in the future. So, uh, fans, we want to hear your opinions, your comments on, you know, where F1 should be going for the future, and also which team you would like to see in Formula One in the future. Yep. And on that bombshell, that would be it for today's episode. Um, hope you guys will join us in the next episode. Um, we'll be at Hungry. Yeah. All right. Thank you for tuning in, guys. This is. Oh yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye.